0: There was this thing we learned in—oops, um, I didn't mean to do that. I'll, okay. There was this thing we learned in marriage counseling called mirroring, where you have to give each other a chance to talk and take your turn listening. And we would use something that we would call the floor, and you couldn't speak unless you had the floor in your hand. And someone could override you and say, eh, eh, eh. "I've got the floor." All right, so, so I've got the floor. No. But who I I want to give it to is these wonderful people here. All right. Well, we're really excited. My notes are part of my email to them. It says we're so excited, and we're still so excited. So excited to hear more of your stories. You were just scraping the surface this morning, and it was wonderful. Um, So they put together, they sent us a whole bunch of wonderful pictures, starting when they're the size of my baby, just about. So, and then they have some things to say, so... So who is this on the
1: left on the horse? That's me. That's me. Did horse? I'm the youngest of five children, and um, there's nine years difference between me and the youngest of the older four, and 18 years difference between me and the oldest. So I was everybody's baby doll. As a matter of fact. My mother called me baby doll.
0: (laughs) And then on. That was me.
1: Yeah. And then on
0: the horse, that doesn't go on the the right.
2: The other is uh, in Ontario, Oregon, uh, when uh, my dad went there to start a church. And uh, that's me sitting on a log, my friends. My brother's on there too. And Bobby Van Woostein.
1: Those are
2: just us. A little older. yeah.
1: Oh, there's a story. And
2: uh, my dad was a church planter and went from place to place and planted churches until I got in the sixth grade. And then he slowed down from there, but I don't know how many churches he started. This one was in uh, southwestern Colorado in a little town called Natarita. And... Uh, We lived in this house. It didn't have running water or electricity. We always said it had running water. Dad would give me a bucket and say, son, run and get some water. (laughs) (laughs) uh, We got our water from the river, and we had coal oil lanterns and, uh, of course, wood stoves and those types of things. And uh, the the pictures are here, and this is the house we lived in, and the next one is the, the church that Dad built there uh, and that church they've got a new building and everything now But so it's been 70 some years that the church has been in existence, the biggest church in the city in, or in the town it's not a city by any means but uh, I saw God do a lot of things there and it put something we were poor as mice and just uh, you know had, had it rough But I wouldn't exchange what I learned about God's faithfulness there when we were kids and little Pentecostal kids laying under chairs and watching prayer for people in a lady's goiter disappearing on her neck and uh, cancer coming off a guy's lip and people coming to the Lord and their lives being transformed. So, though poor, uh, we... uh, we really had a gift from our childhood. My 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 childhood. That's uh and that's the that's the building, yeah. And uh a little later on we'll see a picture of my, my parents and or father and her mother and dad and both my parents were preachers and her mother was a preacher. So we kind of a preacher family. <laughs> but she's she's not a preacher except to me. <laughs> that's that's uh, the parents there. Yeah,
1: that's mine on the right. Yeah, that's my parents on the right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Any of
2: you heard of uh, of uh, oh, California? Uh, Amy McPherson. Amy McPherson. Well. My mother was one of the Amy's girls and uh, the colleagues there in in California, and traveled some with her and did the little skits and things. And so she was uh, really a pretty good preacher, and my dad too. And they went from place to place planting new churches.
0: So what I wanted to ask about in this section is, um, and Bert, you and I chatted about this briefly, is just. The spiritual formation that occurred in this really young season for both of you with families that were in ministry and watching and seeing and being part of things so much bigger than yourself that impacted you. When when we were chatting, I mentioned going on a mission trip when I was seven or eight, nine around there and watching, you know, deformed faces being straightened and demons being cast out and a leg that was too short growing out and, th- and things that for the rest of my life, I knew that I knew that I knew that there had to be a God. And even in times of doubt, that was a rock for me. So I wanted to hear from each of you a little bit about, you know, looking back from where you are now to uh, maybe a few experience, one experience that was formative to your spiritual time, even as a small child, because we have a lot of small kids in this church. And I think it's important to acknowledge what's happening in our kids' lives at that time as we hear from how that was formative for you. I don't know if I've got a question in there. Yeah. The... Um, well, I'll just start.
1: Early childhood, I think, I was probably about six, I think, when I, um, I mean, I'd grown up in the church. I'd been in the church all my life up to that point, and realizing at about age six that I needed to make my own personal decision to be a follower of Jesus. And going to the altar, the altar call, and my Sunday school teacher came and prayed for me and really led me into uh, making that decision to be a follower of Jesus. And I never really walked away from that. I mean, I had my times where I was at a greater distance than others, but... um, I never went into rebellion. And I I remember going to... Probably some of you have heard this story, but I remember going to youth camp and those that would be teaching or preaching in youth camps always seemed to have this story of being um, led out of this, you know, horribly sinful life and God transforming them. And... That wasn't my story. I had never really walked away from the Lord. And I started to wonder, well, do I need to go um, out and do something really crazy so that I can have a good story to tell? You know? And I felt like, as best as I understood it at the time, that the Lord really affirmed me and helping me understand that I had a story to tell that was just as great as their story because I had never walked away in rebellion, that for some reason I had stayed true to my faith all of those years. So I think just um, having a Sunday school teacher that cared and was there for me at that moment when I was making that decision to follow Jesus and then coming to value uh, my story and my walk with the Lord.
2: In my own case, you know, early on, just touched with the Lord and experiencing him. But uh, later on, as I, I don't know, probably even early teenage years, we, we moved to Utah. And it was very hard there, because if you're not a Mormon in Utah, you're just about a non-person. And... Uh, and I, uh, and then at that stage, it isn't quite like it is today. When you were a Pentecostal then, you were a holy brawler, you were a social outcast, you were looked down upon. I mean, all Pentecostals were it, uh, in those days. So, uh, and then going to school where there Mormons and they're asking you, what ward do you go to and all so on. Uh, and... So I, I guess at that point I kind of turned away from the Lord and uh, uh, went through high school primarily just a job playing football and and uh, sports and and uh, always having to lie a little bit about where I lived because we lived in the back of the Pentecostal church. It was a storefront building that had been converted into a church and... Uh, so I used to have people take me home. I'd have them drop me off about a block from the... From the uh, and my mother was a holiness person in the sense of she wore a bun and things like that. And uh, Both of my sisters were preachers. And so I, I had to work through just the, the struggles that a teenager goes through. But in 1960, I believe it was, when I graduated from high school, I went to a youth camp in Colorado, and that's where I met Evelyn. And uh, uh, God really took hold my heart. I had opportunities for a football scholarship at a state university in Utah, but I wanted to walk with the Lord, so I just made a decision there that I was going to go to a little Bible college and I've never regretted that uh, at all. I'm glad I did. The Lord directed my path and it uh, from then on it was walking with the Lord and seeing him transform my life. Thank you. All right, I'm going to move forward here. Yeah, that's uh, that's the way she looked when I first met her on this uh-huh. side. She was beautiful then, and she's beautiful now. We, we have uh, been married uh, 57 years and uh, have had 57 wonderful years of marriage relationship. I still think she's the most wonderful person in the world.
1: You know, I'd like to tell a little story at this point. Um, my mom was a Pentecostal preacher. And um, she only preached in, usually in the churches that we attended or occasionally would be invited to do a little revival meeting in one of the churches in the area that lived in Houston. And um, Bert talking about our marriage just reminded me of this, that um, my mom didn't drive and so if she accepted an invitation to do a meeting, uh, something that was a distance away. Whoever was pastoring that church or somebody from their church would have to go get mom and and pick her up and take her because my dad wouldn't do that. I think he was jealous or something. He was not supportive of that gift that God had given to my mom. And uh, that just really made, uh, was a negative impact on me to see uh, my dad not supporting my mom in that gift that God had obviously given to her. And then um, I never wanted to marry a minister. I, my oldest sister was married to a minister, and I just saw the difficulty that went on there, and was like, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> you know, so then I met this young man, and um, we were just good friends for a long time for months and months, and um, because I'm older than him, I just never thought of it as a romantic relationship until, you know, we were just too far along, and I found myself falling in love with him, and then he proposed, and I realized, oh, no, I don't qualify for this job, you know, of being a minister's wife. Because in the tradition that I grew up in, if you didn't, if the woman didn't play the piano or sing or had a charismatic personality, then you did not qualify. And I wasn't any of those things. So I remember saying to Bert, I'm sorry, I do not qualify for that job. And he looked at me and he said, if I needed a woman like that, there's plenty of girls on campus that I could have married, but I want somebody, I want You're what I want. I want you to be all that God's created you to be and has never, ever tried to get me to be something that I'm not. It's allowed to me me to be my person and encouraged me in the gifts that he saw in me and I am forever grateful for that because I saw just the opposite in my own family and that to come into a relationship where I was encouraged and loved for just exactly who I was and how God had made me so um, that's been our marriage for all these years so I'm very grateful for that
2: After we got married uh, I uh, graduated from college and then I went back and I taught at the college and I was coach next picture Uh, coached a basketball team but coached the college sports teams and uh, then went from there, went to seminary. One thing we did say about our marriage is that I told her I wanted her to agree to two things before she said yes. I didn't want an immediate response. Uh, And now she says she wishes she had told me the two things she wanted from me, but that time, you know, it wasn't appropriate for a woman to do that. (laughs) But uh, I said, you know, she'd be willing to uh, go any place in the world that God called us. And I said, that's without any reservation, wherever God calls us to go. And secondly, that I can buy all the books that I want. She'll never complain. (laughs) And so uh, I think what we count last night, 47 countries we've been to. Wow. It is some of them under the worst conditions that you could possibly imagine, and never once did I hear her complain. Yeah. Uh, she rode on airplanes. I, I, one time, we we went to uh, South Africa, and uh, it was uh, actually 47 hours from the time we got up in north of uh, Johannesburg, and went to London and then across to Detroit and then down to Houston. It was 47 hours on, on a plane. And uh, the next day I had to get up and go to Cincinnati. And she didn't complain, but she looked at the suitcase and she started crying. <laughs> so I said, uh, I you're I not going with me tomorrow. <laughs> so she She stayed home and uh, but uh, uh, you know we we went through that period forty uh, uh, into the uh, uh, time where I taught in the college and then we went out and started churches and we started the first church in what year seventy I can't remember it's in the early seventies and then uh, uh, we started a church in about seven, 1976, and we merged that church with what is now called the Houston Vineyard, and out of that church, we've probably planted 15 churches, in, and uh, we ourselves went out and planted, but we were at a church that that had an impact on this community because... I was senior pastor of a church in the city or the Houston Vineyard for many years. And then it was actually after we'd gone out to plant another church that I, I met Randy and Clara. Uh, so, you know, church planting's been in my blood through all the family. And uh, with that, we had our sons. And there, there's my two sons uh our two sons, uh, wonderful. The one on the uh, right is the Ironman runner. If you know what that is, uh, that is quite a feat in itself. And he's also a coach for Ironman, and then he's also a home builder. And the one on the other side is uh, the youngest, Reagan, and he is our senior pastor. And I love to hear him preach every week. I love... What he's doing with the church, we love just being there. Uh, and it used to be that uh, Reagan was our son, but now uh, I'm the pastor's father, so our roles have absolutely changed.
1: I want to tell a story about Art, our, our oldest son. Um, we'd always prayed for our boys from the time they were very young. Um, for the women who would become their wives. And um, Art's choice was not someone that I would have personally chosen for him. And it grieved me, but um, I remember telling Art, if you choose to marry her, I promise you I'll I choose to love her like a daughter. And so we you know continued to pray, because she was not a believer at the time, and um, she did come to make that confession of faith. But I remember the Lord um, saying to me, as I was complaining about uh, this choice, is that um she may not have been the the choice that I made uh, for our son. But he would cause her to become that daughter-in-law that I had prayed for all those years. And I think we've come to see that happen. It doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. And when you are have given your life for the church, you want your children <laughs> to do that too. You want them to value the church as much as you do. And we haven't seen that in our in Deanna. Both of our daughter in laws are named Deanna, by the way. Um, so um, they don't attend church like I would like for them to. And for a lot of years, I um, nagged about that, and it caused difficulty in relationship. And I remember Bert and I praying for the boys and praying for Art in particular and felt like um, the Lord spoke to us and encouraged us to start looking for what the Holy Spirit was doing in him instead of looking for those things that were the negative things, to start looking for those God sightings and affirming that. And it's been incredible to see the transformation. They still don't come to church as much as I'd like for them to. But that's my mom's heart. And, but if you ask them, they would tell you, yes, they're Christians. Yes, they, um, their brother is their pastor. Um, they love Jesus. Yeah, But it doesn't look like what I wanted it to look like or what I thought it should look like. But he coaches triathlons. And he has a team of about 80 people. He's a gatherer. Um, he witnesses to them. He talks to them about Jesus. He posts things on Facebook. Let's pray for so and so. Such and such is going on in their life. And it's like darn it not the way i wanted it to be you know but as we have observed the holy spirit at work in him in affirming those things to him personally instead of pointing out the negative started pointing out the positive things that we see it's transformed him so yeah. lesson for you if you have children that are not walking the way you would like for them to walk or when your babies get to where they are able to make decisions of their own and they're not exactly what you would like for them to be. Start looking for God's sightings in them and affirming that, and watch the transformation.
2: Two weeks ago, he missed church. Uh, well, he missed <laughs> church, not just two weeks ago, but he was. He comes Christmas and was, Mother's Day and Father's Day a, and Thanksgiving.
1: He was all in, the special holidays.
2: He was in a race. Sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, he and his uh, one of his team members were running, and they passed this guy. And after a little bit, they heard something fall, and it was like a bag of beans just hit the ground. And they looked around, and it was this guy that they had gone by. And when they got to him, they found that uh, his he had no heartbeat and he was turning gray, and he was, uh, his, uh, there was no pulse. His, no pulse. And uh, so my son started de- doing CPR on him, and it just happened. This uh, relates to my sermon this morning. Uh, it just happened that the guy that was running with Art was also uh Anesthesiologist. Anesthesiologist. And so they they brought an ambulance uh, to get the guy, and then they, they hadn't brought the right equipment. This anesthesiologist said, well, do you have this kind of medication we can give to him? And by that time, with Art doing CPR, he was starting to heave every once in a while. But... Uh, uh they were able to then to continue the work with him, and it's pretty exciting because on my, on my iPhone I have a picture of him and his friend and the guy in the hospital, and he's doing fine now. And really, he would have been dead if he had been there. So, you know, the Lord, doesn't the Lord just use... But he acknowledged, he
1: acknowledged the fact that it was not an accident, that it was a God appointment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He put that on Facebook about uh, God's uh, directing them. God had him there at that time and all of that. So uh, that's good news for us in regards to our kids that maybe aren't going the way we want or we think. And But I think it's also important, something else, that it's so easy to look at people's problems and not see the light that's breaking into their lives. And it's so important to not be judgmental and critical, but instead to be ones who look for the light and bless what God is doing. And uh, because the Spirit's at work in their lives just like he is in ours.
0: Thank you. Well, the question I was going to ask had to do with, um, I think you've already answered it. It had to do with uh, helping kids transition from the faith of their father and their mother to their own faith. And I think we've, anyway, that was what I was about to ask when you went into that story. So you hit the nail on the head. So we'll just keep going here. See what comes next.
2: <laughs> That's just us growing up, getting older, them getting older. Yeah. Two years
1: ago. Yeah.
2: That's a beautiful woman. Had dark hair. I had the beard then. That's the way I was when I met Randy, Clara. That's, our,
1: That's pastor. our pastor. That's our pastor.
0: Your son, Reagan. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: He pastors the Sugarland Land Vineyard. And he went out with us. He actually had been on a worship team at Houston Vineyard and then out in a new church plant in Woodlands. And then when we planted uh, 25 years ago, 25 years ago, he came with us to plant the church in Sugarland. So he was the worship pastor. He was the child. I mean, the uh, youth pastor, young adults pastor, did all kinds of technical work and uh, went on. During the time that he was pastoring, he uh, went on. and Got his Master's degree at uh, Asbury Seminary, and uh, then uh, went from there to uh, now. He's. Do we have any Aggies here? Uh, he's uh, he's actually doing a master's degree in adult education at A M, but also pastor in the church, doing a great job.
1: And we think he's just about the greatest.
2: And these are our daughter-in-laws, the two Dianas.
0: Uh, So how do you keep them straight when they're in the same room?
1: Well, it has to be Deanna Kay or uh, Deanna Dale. Yeah. And uh, they both have nicknames, but only their parents can call them those nicknames. (laughs) We have to call them Deanna Kay and Deanna Dale.
2: This Deanna Kay on this side.
1: If nobody knows who Deanna Kay and Deanna Dale is, you have to say Art's Deanna or Reagan's Deanna. (laughs)
2: uh, To know your audience. (laughs) Reagan, after he graduated from high school, went on a mission to uh, Southeast Asia uh, and to both uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. And her parents were missionaries in uh, that part of the world. They started the teen challenge centers over in. Southeast Asia uh, so that's where he met her for the first time, and then she came they came over to our church uh, and we had them you know when they came home on furlough they came to our church, and that's when uh, she uh, moved over there, started school and wound up in their relationship with one another and so. Uh, yeah. yeah, And uh, she never meets a stranger. She's quite a, quite a gal. And so is the other. We just love her, too. Yeah,
0: We've uh, got a family photo here. That's
2: just a big crew. I mean, you know, it, I, through the years, just run in so many people that feel sorry for you, feeling, you know, why you have to come up and you're. Starting a church and you don't have any money and you know you're struggling along and your kids also are struggling along but God is really faithful. God is really faithful. Could I tell you just a little story about when I was when I was a kid? I remember it was 1954. We were in uh, a little place called Dragerton, Utah. Dad was pastoring there, and they had a coal strike, and this was a coal mining town. They had an iron strike, and this was a coal mining town that provided coal for the mills and uh, uh, where they do the steel work. And we literally had no money. And on a Thanksgiving, we had nothing to eat. After some people took us out for to their house for dinner, the next day we didn't know what we were going to eat. We went to bed. We live in a little trailer about about like our 16-foot Bambi trailer. Now, it was very small. My dad, mom and dad slept on one end. My brother and I slept on the other end. And we had nothing to eat. And we went to bed not knowing what we were going to do the next day. That's a hard feeling, you know. And so we... Uh, my dad turned on the radio, and he got this KXCR or something in Del Rio, Texas. It was a... Uh, country-western-type music. And and the song came on, Invisible Hands Are Waiting to Guide You. Invisible Hands Will Show You the Way. Have faith in the Lord, because He's always beside you. So pray and believe, and help you receive. Still moves me to think about it, because I can remember my dad, and then we could hear the radio in our room, uh, and uh, we could feel the trailer shaking as Dad was weeping, uh, just having that word from God over the radio from South Texas someplace, you know. And uh, about ten minutes later, somebody knocked on the door and said, Hey, God spoke to us that so we need to have you over and have some more Thanksgiving meal." And we all climbed out of bed and went over there. And the people had a, a roll of grocery bags lined up for us to take home with us. But I'm I'm just saying that, you know, when we talk about these years, they were hard years. They were hard just because we were Pentecostal. They were hard because we were poor. When you're poor and Pentecostal, <laughs> you're not among the elite of society. You know. So, uh, But to see the way that God provided. I wouldn't take anything in the world for it. So, uh, But then, you know, the families that come out from that that you see represented here.
1: Uh, we now have five grandchildren and two great-grandchildren.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then we go into transition into our time in the vineyard because this is a picture of John Wimber and Peter Wagner and David Watson, uh, mm-hmm. who all three were very important. Uh, Peter Wagner in the area of church growth and, and uh, uh, David Watson in terms of discipleship. And then, of course, John Wimber, yeah. and who uh, had such an influence on my life personally, we were at that time when we met him in the assemblies of God, developed a relationship with John, uh, and its history from there on. We've, uh, if you all have any questions, you could want to ask about that. But he was, he was a very good friend. He was, uh, he was uh, just an amazing person that God used, and I'm so glad that uh, we had the opportunity to, to know him. And then to see what's grown out of his own engagement. And I was talking to some people this morning. Uh, oh, John's, John's nephew. Is he here? Yeah. I That's saying, here. Okay.
1: I'm looking at John Weber's picture up there. I'm seeing Brennan. <laughs>
0: Family resemblance. Yeah. yeah. So this is maybe 1980s-ish. I, I kind of had my decades written down. Bert, did you know you have a Wikipedia page? Huh? You have a Wikipedia page. Oh wow! Really? So Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia, but it's assembled by the general public. So it's as accurate as the general public can make it. Given articles and things you can find online, some interesting stuff out there. So, it, according to Wikipedia, in the 1980s is when you began to connect it to John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, you know, and I,
0: the question I wanted to ask about that is, what what drew you to the Vineyard or John? What was it that you saw that was something that sparked in you that you wanted to align yourself with?
2: Yeah. Well. Uh, I was raised in a little Pentecostal denomination called Pentecostal Church of God. It had its headquarters in Joplin, Missouri, and my dad was a district district superintendent in uh, Utah and Colorado with it. And then I went to their Bible college and and, uh, eventually taught in it. Uh, But I came to the point where I had considerable differences with with some of the theology and practice. I I just came to the point where I was no longer home. And uh, then... uh, No longer home? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my friend... I developed a friendship at that time with Herschel Rosser. And Herschel Rosser has been around. He's here in uh, San Antonio now with one of the other Vineyard churches. But... uh, He was in the Assemblies of God, and we merged our two churches together. And it was an Assembly of God church at that time. And I was talking to Bob this morning because Bob had a good friend that was a friend of mine, Daryl Harris, who was head of Vineyard Music Company. And he had met John Wimber, and uh, Daryl had met John Wimber, and they were distributing music for... John Wimber at that time. And uh, uh, Daryl kept saying to us, saying to me, I met this guy named John Wimber, you need to meet him. Uh, And they worship like we do, their values are like ours. And I couldn't imagine because I just had never seen anything quite like that in terms of music style and And uh, the theology and the focus on the kingdom of God. So uh, finally we went out, Evelyn and I went out to California to the general conference for the Assemblies of God. And we went over to uh, the church in Yorba Linda and uh, to where John Wimber was. And from the first song going forward we said we've never been in a place we felt so much at home feels like god has made us for this i mean it, it was it was truly uh, transforming well we went home from that and a few weeks later john wimber called me and said we had an unusual bonding by the spirit and I would like for you to come to a conference we're going to have in your Belinda. Uh, not in your Belinda, in uh, Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Uh, I went to that. I was deeply moved by everything there. Uh, I believe that God, for all of us, has a, a tribe for us, you know. And so we went to that meeting, and uh, Evelyn didn't go. I kept calling her, and she was saying, oh, I wonder. Wonder what he's getting into and all that. And uh, so uh, the result of that was that I asked John to come to Houston and be with us at church in the city, which he did. And we began developing a relationship that was real good. We went to all the conferences, everything. John and I would talk uh, pretty often on the phone. But I didn't feel free to go to. To the vineyard officially at that time. And I remember after probably four or five years, I was out walking one day and praying, and the Lord said to me, It's time for you to go, and I'll give you the blessing of the assemblies of God. And I had made a commitment that I wouldn't tear the body of Christ by taking the church out of the assemblies and take them in, but I I was going to walk in peace. And, uh, So I wrote, went home, it was like the Lord just gave me a letter that was almost by the spirit, you know, I'm not saying inspired word of God, but it was, anyway, I I wrote the letter and uh, sent it to the uh, district superintendent. He took it before their elders and they released and blessed us to become a vineyard in nineteen seventy, nineteen eighty, I think it was them, seventy-eight, something like that. What did Wikipedia say? Yeah, what did
0: Wikipedia? <laughs> Wikipedia says in the eighties, late late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, so early yeah, we're, that's, that's yeah. right. We're close. <laughs> and
2: uh, so uh, <clears throat> that was considerable time after because we didn't feel like the Lord freed us. to do at that time. Uh, About a month after uh, we agreed to go into the vineyard, and John came and blessed us and everything, and uh, and then John called me and asked me if I would be the regional overseer for the southern part of the United States. And I said, John, I think I need to wait a while. (laughs) It's a little bit too fast. So... We waited, and I don't know, it was just a couple months later or something. I don't know. He said, well, I think it's time. So I said, (laughs) okay. And uh, we became national directors. I mean, not national directors, the regional overseers at that time.
0: And Evelyn, how was that transition for you? I mean, he's kind of told his side of the story when you're at home wondering what's going on. But, I mean, you've been with the Vineyard ever since. So this is a pivotal
1: kind of time in ministry. That was a pivotal time, yes, because he was telling me stories that I wasn't too sure about. it. It was like big flashbacks from some of my Pentecostal experiences that I didn't feel real comfortable with. And so he came home with this big old notebook. Every time we went to a conference, we came home with a big old notebook, you know. So I And tapes. It Notebooks is. and tapes, yeah. So I um, had to take a little trip to go be with one of his sisters that was having surgery. and um, So I was going to have some downtime, and so I took this big old notebook with me, and I started looking up all the scriptures, and it was like, oh, yeah, that, the Bible does say that. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I really, you know, I bought into it. It took me a little time, but... Um, just that experience of god's presence and uh healing and I mean I'd seen that you know as a child growing up, but this was pretty magnified, you know in some of the conferences, some of the things that were going on. It was a little uncomfortable for me, but um I began to embrace my own experience of god's presence and uh, have treasured that yeah it's a vital part of my life. Yeah,
2: you know, one of the things I was thinking about there was uh, uh, when we first came in, well, yeah, we actually had John come back twice. He came back twice to Houston before we officially went into the vineyard. Uh it it was just uh, hard to believe that there's a church as much like us, that we had their values and they had our values and we could come together. And uh, uh, then the other thing was Vineyard It was a, it was
0: a culture fit the, the, in many ways. That is what I hear you the, saying. Well,
2: the culture thing wasn't hard for us. We had actually, through Star Song Records, put out a couple worship albums before then that became very popular, and they were basic vineyard style, and uh, so, but the, the other thing was that that first service we went to in Yorba Linda, John was teaching through the Gospel of Mark, and he was focusing on the kingdom of God, and I couldn't believe it, because I had never seen a church of this nature teaching on the kingdom of God. And uh, so that made it easy for us to be bonded. And it's always been very important to me. It's important to me today. We live in the kingdom.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to keep going because we've got to be done by five and we have a few more decades to get through. All right. So we've got here some more of your family.
2: Yeah, this, this really... First thing that happened when I became national director is we had a church up in uh, Texas, uh, north Panhandle of Texas, where the husband died and the hus- and the wife became the senior pastor. And at that time, Vineyard didn't have an official position on women in ministry. And uh, so that raised the question. The board started processing it, and we eventually... Came to the position that women could hold any position in the church. That the decision on on position in ministry would be, be determined on the not on the basis of gender, but on the basis of anointing and gifting. And uh, this was the first leadership meeting of the women uh, after we they officially were brought into. Where the Claras of the world could (laughs) could uh, be pastors, yeah. And then uh,
1: we consider that one of the major accomplishments of our years as national director that we're really proud of.
0: At that time, there's uh, a lot of ways that could have gone, and there's a lot of ways that different denominations have handled that question and are handling it today.
1: Yeah, I mean they processed it over. Months and months. <laughs> well, really,
2: over two years, we uh, had people write papers. We had a, opened a website where anybody that had a position on it could write it, and others could read those positions. We took processed it through all of the regions. Uh, I had I read probably a hundred books on it. Although I had deep conviction about it all the way along in terms of in the age of the spirit, what is it like? And uh, so then the board voted 100% on it. So uh, very, very pleased. This picture shows the, we called it a Vic Vineyard International Consortium, which was the uh, leaders of the various nations that we were in at that time, just beginning of my term as national director. Uh, And really, at that point, there was quite a bit of disarray. After John's death, things got pretty rough in the vineyard because you're going through transition time. And this is the first time that I met with the group uh, up in Canada. And I have uh, fond memories because during that time, vineyard began to expand. And now I think, what did you say, uh, 60 nations? Was that... Fifty-seven nations? Uh, There were... Ninety-seven?
0: And and over 2,400 churches worldwide. I had that in my sermon last week. I didn't remember the number of nations, but it was over 2,400 churches worldwide.
2: Yeah. So we got to see that. We got to see the regions, uh, the, the various AVCs become separate AVCs from the nations. And this was one of the first. Uh, it was the first meeting where, I, as national director, met with the Vic uh, people, whom I love very deeply, representing something beautiful of the.
0: I'm probably trying to create some unity. I'm probably trying to create a new sense yeah. of a new sense of a renewed sense of unity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drawing people back together.
2: When I became national director, I. And it's central to me is uh, just the whole idea of community. And I'd probably say if there was one message that was central, it was about being the people of God. In terms of the Spirit, what the Spirit does is bring us together. If we're being torn apart, it's probably not the Spirit at work. So, uh, and we really saw unification take place there. And a lot of these guys are gone. They're as old as I am. So. <laughs> Yeah, and this is the uh, National Board of uh, Vineyard USA at that time, and uh, they all look a lot older now than they did. Then. This is the, uh, the office team we had when I was National Director at Vineyard, Vineyard, Vineyard USA, yeah. And I just had brought this in because we started a Society of Vineyard Scholars to try to encourage vineyard scholarship. still going. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that happens that uh, brings in people, any any of the people, you know, a lot of people with doctor's degrees and various things that they don't have to be theologians or Bible scholars. It could be any area of study they're in that they can participate in that And uh, so it's provided a community for those that uh, are in uh, scholarship. And the reason I had that picture there, it's the only one I could get. That's when we were at Yale University, and we actually had our first meeting there at Yale uh, when we organized Uh, you know, it's pretty open. You just register and go. It's designed for those in academia because the the types of papers and all that are presented and the topics are dealt with very much on a professional level, yeah. uh, professional educational level, scholarship level. Uh, that's Moses parting the sea. Uh, going in just few pictures here on our, we we traveled close to uh, 2 million miles. That picture that was in that was there was me in Martania in Martinian dress because we wouldn't want to dress in western style to get killed there. But uh, that's a picture and all of these are missions pictures. Go ahead with them. and uh, Oh, this picture right here is uh, for the younger people, anybody know Mumford and Sons music? Yeah. Well, that's Marcus Mumford, and he had come to Houston with. The, he's the son of the national directors, or were the national directors of Vineyard UK, and uh, they they hit the tops of the charts in pop music, and we we loved it uh, when he. Went into to uh, putting his band together. He was t- attending uh, Oxford, and his parents used to come to the meeting. Oh boy, you know, we're so concerned. You know, Marcus is going. He's not going to be able to make a living. He's got this band, and he's going. And uh, two or three years ago, I think it was, they got number one on the at the music, uh, whatever they are here in, in the United States, and. Uh, so, and uh, this is Evelyn with oh this is me in Ethiopia. That's Evelyn in Ethiopia, and that's Evelyn in Mexico, and that's Evelyn in. Oh no, no, okay, we're in good shape now. Okay, and then we come to the period when we retired, in uh, that's uh, 2013, January 2013. Can you imagine how busy we were for 13 years as national director, and part of that time we were also pastor in the church. And before that, we'd planted a church, and on and on it goes. And just involved with all the people and uh, all the activities, and in the know, and all of those types of things. And then it came retirement time. And when you retire, how many we got here is retired? Okay, well. Okay, I see two or three. Yeah, and so just before I retired, I wanted to make a statement about uh, about the way we want to live after we retire. And this is the best statement I make. I I don't want to stay in areas of safety once I retire. I I want to be willing to take the risk, and I. Really want my wife to be willing to take the risk where <laughs> we just don't settle down, and so uh, so I decided I'd skydive, and this is a picture of me skydiving, and it, it's exactly like retiring, <laughs> exactly like retiring because what you do is you get on a plane and there's several of you in the plane and you're going 120 miles an hour and you're circling and you're going higher and higher. And higher, and you're looking down there, and you're seeing the ground, uh, and then you see some clouds below you, and it's then loud. they they call your name and say it's time for you to go.
1: Oh, it's loud. Huh? It's loud. it's loud. Oh yeah,
2: it's loud in there, and everybody's you know talking and, talking and uh, <laughs> carrying on, and so you buckle up with your your partner. That kind of like the Holy Spirit at that time, you know, so buffing it up.
1: And yeah, he looks like the Holy Spirit. He's got tattoos all down the. Line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It scared me to death when I saw him, and he was much smaller than Bert, and he's covered with tattoos all over him. And I thought, oh my goodness, I was nervous about him doing this anyway, and to see this little guy attached to Bert and supposed to save his life and help him come down. She
2: would never let me skydive before I retired. She figured she wouldn't lose any income if I I died then. So (laughs) anyway. Interest doesn't cover
1: you if you die of skydiving.
2: You jump out of the plane, and it's really exciting just to jump out of the plane. And then that plane is going 120 miles an hour and it's going away and you're going 120 miles an hour down 120 miles an hour can fall and that's just like just like retiring all of a sudden the noise is gone no more emails nobody calling <laughs> not enough people to even make you feel important anymore you know you've lost uh, some of your identity you know that's a part of the whole Retirement process. And it can be very painful. It can be lonely. It can be like, now what am I going to do? And how am I going to land? You know, that's one of the things you're thinking about when you're skydiving is how am I going to land? I've never done this before. And uh, then you land and then you've got to walk it out. But everything's changed. Everything changes overnight. When you've been a career person, and suddenly it's all over. And uh, so, what do we do? Yeah, uh, we go to the next picture.
1: Well, it was the one before me. No. Oh,
2: go you ahead. you you go to the church yeah, of your one. friends.
1: Wait, wait, wait! No, there's that one's me. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Gliding. Um. On our 50th wedding anniversary, we took a trip to the Tetons, and Jackson Hole area, and uh, we're watching people doing the skydiving, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. We got on the gondola. We were going to go up hiking, and there were uh, divers in the gondola, and we got in conversation with them, and I thought... Maybe we could do this, and he said, "No, you can't do it today. You'd have to wait till tomorrow. It's too late. Probably the winds will change by the time we got down and got you registered." So, anyway, we get up and we're watching them run off the mountain, and that looked a little scary to me. But as we're watching, we were approached by two um, skydivers. Said, "Would you like to do that?" We said, well, "We thought we couldn't do it. We thought we had to wait till tomorrow." And he said, "No, we can sign you up right here. You ready to go?" So we looked at each other, and it was like, "Why not? Let's do it." And that is so out of character for me. I am not a big risk taker, um, but it's kind of the metaphor of my life. I'm not a married to—I'm not a risk taker, big risk taker—but I'm married to one, and so I've taken a lot of risks over the years. And this was sort of symbolic of how I wanted to do the rest of my life. Let's just. Put on that parachute, got your buddy on the back, and you start running, and the parachute catches you, and you float down. So easy landing.
2: That was off the Tetons in Yellowstone.
1: Okay.
2: After I recovered, realized she had said yes. Well, I got on one and (laughs) went out, too.
1: Those are our Moranville friends.
2: (laughs) When they were a lot younger. Oh, Joey.
0: That baby is 13 <laughs> today. <laughs> and there's a lot more grandbabies.
1: Yeah. I, I for actually sure.
2: have pictures from just about every year of. uh you guys still Randy do family Clara.
1: Christmas pictures? What? 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 Okay. Um, that's just your last We sort of got that one out of order
2: No that one we, is, we, Oh yeah that is out of order We love too. the Astros
1: so we spend a lot of time Watching baseball uh, That's our garden Where we live now
2: She's the master gardener uh, I won't
1: even go into that story But yeah. I love dirt I love dirt Good dirt makes good flowers mm. And there's a whole story Around that
2: So we had the picture there of the Houston Houston Astros game who by the way are playing the Yankees for the American League championship today this evening and uh, Mm -hmm. so she has her garden we have uh, the Astros and we got our little 16 foot Bambi camping trailer which we delight in using and uh, going out but both of our sons that. have
1: campers, and so we, we we needed our own bed, and our own bathroom, and our own place to make coffee. So, that's the little Bambi.
0: Okay, who wants to hear Evelyn's story? That's our
1: story. Good dirt. <laughs> oh, okay, I got five minutes. Um, dirt. Um. I have loved gardening for a long time, but I've not been very good at it. So I discovered that I could take a course. It's called a master gardening course. And so I, um, Bert gave me permission to not travel with him for a period of time so I could go and take a master gardening class. And I discovered that all the problems I was having in my garden related to two things primarily. One is the overuse of chemicals and um, the soil. And when I learned about how to take care and nurture the soil, that it made all the difference in what that soil produced. And you could even preach a sermon about that. But, huh? (laughs) Jesus <laughs> did, and so when I learned to properly care for the soil, um it transformed my gardening. Plants began to thrive that I had struggled with for so long, and I didn't need to use all of those chemicals that I'd been using that was uh not helping the soil at all, but um it was, to, it was destroying vital insects, you know, that I needed to have around. Um, so anyway, uh, I loved to, uh, when we moved into this house four years ago, it was a blank canvas. I looked at that backyard with no grass, no plants, a bunch of weeds, and that was my canvas. And could be able to creatively create something beautiful in that plot of land that represents new creation to me.
0: Thank you. All right. We're done. You only took like one minute. That was impressive. (laughs) So we probably need to be done. But the last question I really wanted to ask had to do with a season of waiting or suffering or conflict uh, that you can, you know, that we've kind of passed through all of these decades, you know, thinking back. And, and when I talked to you about this on the phone, Bert, you said probably retirement. And so you've touched on that. So I guess I just wanted to ask if there's anything else, that, you know, a season that was like, man, that was a really rough few years. And what what was happening there? What was looking back? What was God doing there? I think you've even talked about this with art. Um, so there's we've touched on a few of those. But I just if there was something else, because I think that's one of the the great things that, uh, the great encounters that we all have as humans and also as Christians is a really difficult season and being stuck in the middle of it and not being able to see one way or the other up or down and where is God and when is he going to come through and when this, this terrible season going to be over. And in fact, we get on the other side of it and most of the time we discover that season completely transformed my character, you know, because God was at work in it. So... If there's one you haven't shared about that kind of pops up.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting because really I'd say uh, retirement was very difficult. But also the 13 years I served as national director. Because I didn't come in as national director in a good place. Uh, I came in because God spoke to me in so many ways about becoming national director, but actually at the time I became national director, I was uh, taking medication for anxiety. Some things had happened that uh, that had really led me to a crisis point in my life. And so I had anxiety. I had anxiety attacks. I was under counsel. I was taking medication. People asked me what, what your – my uh, – uh, the conditions were for me to come become a national director. Well, I had to be on drugs. You know? No, I'm, <laughs> d- I'm just talking about... Uh, I wasn't in a good place. And uh, I, I said no when I was initially asked because just where I was and what I was going through at that point. Uh, it's not good to start where you are already down. And I was... Uh, but uh, Renee Norwood who some of you know uh, was uh, she and her husband were in a restaurant with us one night and she said to me are you sure God doesn't want you to be uh, considered for national director because I'd been asked by the board at the time that uh, Todd Hunter stepped down as a matter of fact, I was talking to Todd, and he said, you know, you're it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're the new national director, Well, because I was vice president at the time. But uh, so uh, I, uh, I just kept saying no <laughs> That the, when we were together. She asked, and I said, well, you know, it's kind of a smart aleck remark. Be careful how you're loose with your mouth, you know. And I said, well, if God wants me to be a national director, he'll pay for our meal tonight. And it was in a restaurant. We were the only one there. So I went over a little bit later to pay for the, the meal because the waitress hadn't come over to us. And, and she said, well, sir, uh, the meal is taken care of tonight because they've already closed the cash register. And I thought oh, And uh so I went back over the table and I said, Guess what? God paid for it. God paid for the meal tonight. <laughs> oh, and yeah, okay. it, 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 Emma said, Oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> and uh but I knew that God had called me to it and I knew that I was in that condition because God doesn't always wait for us to be in the the, the biggest, uh, most healed condition to in order to give us an assignment. And uh, the vineyard at that time was, was going through a real struggle because you have somebody like John Wimber who's leading and then you go through the transition and you're still a young movement. And there were so many issues that we had to work through. And sometimes people would become angry. You'd have the people from outside the vineyard and those were hard times. Uh, I, I did uh, uh, something in regards to the issues between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And I remember getting email upon email upon email upon email and, and uh, faxes, more faxes, I think. Because sometimes I would get 25 to 30 faxes a day, and all of them were cursing me. And that gets to you after a while. You you wonder why you even look at them, but you felt like you had to. I, I felt like I needed to do that. And so there were times through the times that I was serving that were just, Be I cannot express The the pain of it. I think part of it is because I think I've always been a little bit insecure myself. And when you're a little insecure you and you have a lot of offense, it's very, very painful. I think maybe I've even grown up more since then. But, uh, and now that I'm retired, I'm really grown up. But uh, uh, but the Lord was faithful, and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity. I feel like we did what God told us to do. Uh, and the Lord was faithful through it. And I think we grew. Well, I kind of kidding said to uh, uh, Randy last night, I said, well, you know, I had to step down so I could get saved. Well, the fact is you get burned out, you get torn down, you get, and I really encourage every pastor that I know, take sabbaticals and those types of things. Because it's, it's pastoring a church today is a hard job. The challenges are greater every day. And uh, so I, th- I took the first two years to basically get to a place of spiritual renewal myself from the struggle. But I read Paul in 1 Corinthians and he talks about these kinds of experiences. And I've had a few Pauline experiences along the way. But I, I, you know, she she has stayed faithful in terms of support and love, and I I would never have made it without her. She's been God's
1: gift to me. There were many times during the years that um, he was national director that we would look at each other and say, why are we doing this? And it would always come back to because God called us. And we were trying to be faithful. And since retirement, we've looked at each other and we've said, now why did we do that? (laughs) Because God called us and we were faithful. And to whatever degree he used us to make any kind of change or contribution during that time, to God be the glory.
2: Yeah, you know, you listen to this and you say, well, you know, you speak of that pain and everything. Scripture talks about the spiritual warfare and the warfare that we're in. And it's not easy. But it's not as bad as some people. They give their lives. But in all of our lives, don't we go through it? And we just are faithful to the Lord and are doing what he called us to do. Came to the point getting on airplanes and traveling all over the world, and after 9/11, especially it was horrible. Which was one year after I'd become national director, uh, and all of the international politics and all of these types of things. But I can say again, the Lord is so faithful, and uh, I have I have some regrets in life. I have regrets at the mistakes I've made. But I have no regrets at God's where he's assigned us or what we've done because of his assignment.
0: And you're not finished yet.
2: Not finished yet. I, just a word I I do conversation groups that we we do around at uh with leadership and things like that and we stay really quite busy. So still reading books and learning things, and she's still not complaining about the books I buy.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. About 100 boxes of books away when we downsized. Wow. And now he's buying a lot of them back.
2: (laughs) She's not complaining, you understand.
1: (laughs) You know, Bert, I had said this morning that I had hoped that you would uh, bless our congregation, and I think you did that really, really well this morning at the end of your time. That was a a very yeah you can they'll they will we'll be together with them. I would like us to gather around them and pray for them.